salvation, and there's you're just trying to. I go, Lord, please help me. So this isn't just an information study, but anyway, so glad to have some of you back. I know a lot of people have been sick. I've been sick. My friend Melissa's been sick. <laughs> so um, need some help, Mandy? <laughs> Um, one of the gals asked me, Trudy, you want to go up here and see if the lighting's fine? I said, oh, as long as we don't have any light show behind me, I'll be okay. <laughs> anyway, let's pray. Father, we come before you right now, Lord. And Father, we ask you to cleanse our heart and forgive us of sin. And Lord, we're so grateful for your grace and your mercy and just the provisions that you have so graciously given to every one of us, Lord. And so, Father, as we've looked at your word, as the gals have spent time in your discussion groups, I just ask, Lord, that um, as we sit, that you would continue to reveal your truth. And then it would go deep into our hearts and that we would understand all that you desire for us. And in desiring all of that is so that we may grow and that we may become mature, and that we may be used for your glory. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. What a privilege. Um, we just thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. It's funny, I was at the concert um, Sunday night with Crystal Lewis, and absolutely loved it, of course. Um, and I happened to run into a girl who was good friends with my sister in high school. I never had met her before. And so she was asking me, she, it must be really tough being a pastor's wife. And for me, I've never felt that way. For me, it's always been a privilege. I've always counted a privilege. Lord, who am I? You know? So um, this chapter we entitled Unity in Christ. Uh, this, uh, because you see the Jews and the Gentiles coming together and, and how Christ unites them which really was unheard of until the birth of the church. We are to manifest a spiritual unity by being united in our actions. Uh, these last three chapters will reveal how possible that is in every one of us. So let's begin with verse 1, which deals with the grace of unity in verses 1 through 3. And he, um, Verse 1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Um, therefore, meaning in view of ver uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3, which we learned of the wealth of his love. The wealth being our heavenly position, our adoption, um, our redemption, our inheritance, our power, our life, our grace, our citizenship all because of God's love towards you and I. Uh, verse 1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you. Or Paul is saying, I beg you that you walk worthy of the calling where which you were called. The word beseech or beg is the same word used in Romans 12.1 when Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He's pleading. He's begging. It is not a command. It is a gentle wooing of love that Paul is doing. As we move into chapter 4, it deals with how the love of Jesus will affect the way we respond as believers. We all understand with privilege 
comes responsibility. You and I have been privileged as we are adopted into the family of God, as we become daughters of the King. We are incredibly privileged. But with every privilege, there comes responsibility. And that responsibility is to walk worthy of your calling. And I thought about that, and I just thought about how there are so many religions that work to be accepted. None of us had to work to be accepted. And there's nothing you could ever do to be accepted by God. As we looked in the first three chapters, he's done everything for you. He could not be more passionate for you as he came and he died for you. You can't work for your salvation. But because you are saved, it is going to change everything about your life. Once you are born again, your whole life changes. You are not the same. Um, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. As Christians, our actions are linked to our identity. We can never forget that. You are a Christian. You are Christ-like. That's what you're saying when I'm a Christian. I'm Christ-like. Our actions are linked to our identity. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 16, you will know them by their fruit. What kind of fruit? Do we have smelly fruit? Do we have stenchy fruit? Do we have the kind of fruit where, you know, we've all been to the produce stand and you look at some of the fruit. Wow, that's not coming home with me. And then there's the fruit that's beautiful. It's luscious. You can't wait to bring it home. What kind of fruit are we? You will know them by their fruit, Jesus said. Uh, Paul is going to elaborate on the importance of the spiritual graces necessary to maintain the unity of the believers. In verse 2, he says, With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. He begins with lowliness. Lowliness is the opposite of pride. God hates pride. He absolutely hates it. And if he hates it, we should hate it. The opposite of pride is lowliness. Lowliness refers to humility of mind. I think if we were more humble, we would save ourselves from a lot of hardships in our life. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, let nothing be done in selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others higher than yourself. Lowliness. You esteem others higher. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls. If we're Christians, if we're Christ-like, Jesus says, I am lowly in heart. Then that's what we want to be. We want to be lowly in heart. In Romans 12, verse 3, it says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought. Have you ever been around those people that think more highly of themselves than they ought? It's not a very pretty sight. It's really quite the opposite of lowliness. Next, he says meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Many times people have meekness and weakness all in the same um, mindset. Meekness, I've had it um, shared with me, is power under control. And isn't that what Jesus was? The Son of God who came down, gave himself as a, a living sacrifice for us. Power under control. Uh, God is long-suffering. Oh, that's the next one. Long-suffering, which literally means long-tempered. The ability to endure discomfort without fighting back. That's long-suffering. 
God is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. Was he long-suffering towards me? Was he long-suffering towards you as he waited and he wooed you and he called you to himself? He was very long-suffering. Next, forbearance or bearing with one another, meaning to hold one back in the spirit of love. It is the outward evidence of an inner attitude. Is that what you have as you walk in um, those attributes that God has given us? Colossians 3 verse 13 says, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. We're bearing with one another. We're patient. We're long-suffering. That's what we need to be when we're dealing with the body of Christ and those outside the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 tells us love suffers long. Lowliness and gentleness with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, will yield to unity. If we have these characteristics moving in our life, working in our life, there will be the unity. But if you're high-minded, if you're prideful, you're going to have divisions. You're going to have um, uh, arguments amongst yourself. He says in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is the goal of the believer, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Our call is not to create spiritual unity, but rather to manifest spiritual unity by the way we interact with one another. How are you interacting? Does somebody say something or somebody doesn't look at you the right way? I'm done. I'm out of here. Did you see the way she looked at me? Petty things. Petty things that cause big problems. Why? Because we refuse to be long-suffering, because we refuse to have that lowliness that God's called us to. Uh, it, it, this entails action and diligence on our part. Uh, you never, ever, ladies, let your guard down. When we think the situation is at its best and we relax, that's when Satan comes in. That's when he comes in and he wreaks havoc. He moves in to destroy. Uh, remember, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. Why? Because pride. Pride says, I've got it under control. It's not a problem. It's always a problem. Always a problem. We need to walk in humility. We need to walk in lowliness, in meekness, that power under control. The verse states, in the bond of peace. We're told in Colossians 3.15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called, in one body, and be thankful. It's God's peace that needs to rule in our hearts. Satan is always there to snatch that peace away. But God gives us that peace. If we will rest upon that peace, if we will look to him for that peace. Um, Second, let's look at the reason for walking in the unity uh, in verses 4 through 6. Verse 4 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. There is one body. Paul will use the human body as a picture of the of of, uh, of the Christian unity. The body refers to the body of Christ. Uh, this describes the totality of all believers. And I love this description because Scripture tells us that our bodies, right here, are fearfully and wonderfully made. But when you think about the body of Christ, truly it is fearfully and wonderfully made because we all make up the body of Christ. Every part of this body is important for me to talk, for me to see, for me to move. Every part is working together in unity. 
And this is the point that Paul is trying to make. The body is moving in unity. But if this hand says, no, I want to go over here, and this hand says, no, I want to go over here, what's going to happen? It's going to tear me apart. And that's what the body of Christ, we need to work in unity as, as God calls us to. He says, in one spirit, it is the Holy Spirit who imparts the divine life. His uh, first work is to convict and to enlighten. And then he re, uh, regenerates or we become born again. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into one body. Uh, he indwells, fills, seals, and anoints. This is what the Holy Spirit, every one of us, the Holy Spirit convicted us. And then we were sealed through the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit is at work until the day God takes us home in our life. But it's the Holy Spirit working and ministering to us and convicting us. The work of the Holy Spirit is to unify believers in Christ. This unity, the believer is instructed to keep. This is what you want to do as the body of Christ. We work together. Then he says, one hope of your calling. This refers to the goal set before every believer. The believer will be taken out of this world into the presence of Christ. This is the blessed hope. This is our calling. One day, I'm not going to be here anymore. One day, I'm going to be there. Titus 2, verse 13 says, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, I was just talking to a young lady who was going through some difficulties, and we were texting back and forth. And she says, it's okay. And you know how you have those little figures you can text? And she had these little figures, and it was um, these little men walking. She goes, it's okay. I'm just passing through. And we need to remember that. We're only passing through. Don't get your roots stuck here. Don't get <clears throat> earthbound. Because we're only passing through. My, my blessed hope is to be with Jesus. One day I'm going to be there. Then Paul moves on to one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. One Lord refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. His lordship over believers brings into existence the unity of the church. It's because of him we are united. If it were not for Jesus, none of us would be here today. Some of us would not be the friends that we are today. But it's because of his unity. And then he says, one faith, which refers to the body of truth called the apostles' doctrine. And in Acts 2, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in, and the prayers. This is the basis of our faith. When doctrine is denied, there are divisions. There must be substance to form an adhesive of the believers. This substance is correct doctrine. We need correct doctrine. There's all kinds of false doctrine going out. But what keeps the correct doctrine in the word of God? It's the word of God. This is what keeps us together. I think that's why it's very hard for me to accept that little bumper sticker that says coexist. Can't happen. I can't take a little bit of the Muslim faith and I can't take a little bit of Jehovah Witness. I can't, take, I can't bring those all together. Because God's word is very clear. To accept all of that would be sin. So I need the apostles' doctrine, which is the word of God. And then he says, one baptism. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is that which takes place when we accept Jesus Christ into our heart. Paul tells us, tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, 
and have all been made to drink into one spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the power we are told in Acts 1.8. The baptism of the Spirit is evident by the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. And then he moves on to uh, verse 6. One God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. Um, one God and Father of all. This refers to God's fatherhood to the believers. Sonship only comes through Jesus Christ. He is creator and redeemer. He is father of all who um, are his by regeneration. He, we can only call him father as we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's the only way. We are adopted into the family of God. And then he says, who is above all, speaks of his sovereignty, his transcendent, supreme to everything and every person. He is above all. As father, he exercises control over all. In Isaiah 45, verse 5, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. And then he says, through all, speaks of his imminence. In his creation, all creation is subject to him. He blesses all through Christ the mediator. And then he says, in you all, speaks of the indwelling relationship through Christ. He draws us closer to his heart through the Holy Spirit. He is in us. He dwells within us. He makes his abode in us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 tells us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He makes his abode. He dwells within us. And then third, let's look at the giver of grace for unity in uh, verses 7 through 10. He says in verse 7, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace, speaking of the gracious influence of the Holy Spirit, grace is bestowed upon all true believers. And we have enough to enable us to live a lifetime here in holiness. It is a gift. It is bestowed upon us. It's not originated by us. It's given to us by by the Lord. Uh, The measure of grace given in view of gifts, which we will get into in verse 11, as the body exercises uh, grace and gifts in the unity of the Spirit, it allows the body of Christ to be more effective. And this is what we want. We want to be more effective for Jesus Christ. I don't want to be some humdrum Christian that locks herself away and, you know, I, I need to be a living example, a living light, salt. That's what every one of us want to be as we, um, as we manifest Christ's glory. As the body exercises the grace and the gifts in the unity of the spirit, it allows the body of Christ to be more effective. We want to be more effective. Our world is dying and going to hell. Our country is dying and going to hell. We need to be effective. And the only way we're effective is being obedient to the word of God and allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work in our life. Now let's look at Christ who gives the gifts. Therefore, he says in verse 8, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And Paul is actually quoting Psalms uh, 68, verse 18. Prior to Christ leading captivity captive, Hades was divided into two compartments. Uh, We have an illustration of this in uh, Luke chapter 16 when Jesus shared about the rich man and Lazarus. The two compartments prior to the cross was first... The believing, the believing saints, which was the bosom of the Father, the believing saints all were on this side. And then second, the unbelieving individuals, 
which was the place of torment. And you'll remember when Jesus gave um, about the rich man and Lazarus and how the rich man was in torment and Lazarus was being comforted. These are the two compartments in Hades prior to the cross. Verse 8 also shares, therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. This refers to the emptying of Hades on the side of Abraham's bosom of all who died in faith prior to the cross. So Jesus went down and he led captive and he let and and brought all those saints up to heaven. But then 1 Peter 3 verses 19 and 21 says to the non-believing believers, Christ descended and preached to the disobedient. Can you imagine? Jesus went down and he preached to the disobedient. <clears throat> Christ himself gave testimony to this by the, uh, by the sign of Jonah in um, Matthew 12, verse 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And this is what? They're talking about when Jesus descended and then he ascended. Paul continues in verse 8. Therefore, he says, uh, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. The giving of gifts to men refers to the gifted men given to the church for, for the perfecting of the saints spiritually, which again we will learn about in verse 11. Paul continues to explain verse 8, giving further clarity in verse 9. And he says, now this... He ascended, what does it mean, but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. All Paul is saying is that he descended and then he ascended. Now let's look at Christ's exaltation in verse 10. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. He passed into the heavens. Christ ascended and he passed into the heavens. And it talks about the third heavens. Jesus passed and went to the third heaven. Um, in Hebrews 4, verse 14, he was made higher than the heavens. In Hebrews seven twenty-six, he spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them, openly triumphing over them in Colossians two fifteen, He has filled everything. He has done everything that was required of him. When God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, he knew exactly what he was saying. Jesus came and he fulfilled all that needed to be done for you and I to be saved. What he went through for you and I. And then he's now at the right hand of the Father. He's fulfilled everything. Now he lists the gifts. In verse 11 he says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. He gave some to be apostles, meaning one, uh, apostle means one who is sent out um, and sent with a commission. There were the 12 apostles, there were the 70, uh, and there were many others. Their credentials were signs and wonders. Uh, There are no apostles in the sense of, the revelation of God's word. Um, And then it says that he gave some to be prophets, meaning to proclaim God's word, the mouthpiece for God, to reveal the unknown or future events uh, 
Agabus revealed the famine and Paul's binding in Acts 11:28 and Acts 21 verse 10. And then he says he gave some to be evangelists, one who preached the good news to lost men. Philip is called an evangelist in Acts 21 verse 8. Timothy was to do the work of evangelists in 2 Timothy 4 verse 5. And he gave some to be pastor teachers, pastors meaning shepherds, speaking of a local church, as uh, as God's flocks in Acts 20 verse 28. This describes one who pastors and teaches God's people. And then he gave some to be teachers. There are teachers, but they're not necessarily pastors, but they teach. Fourth, let's look at the purpose of these gifts in verses 12 through 16. And I'm sorry we're rushing through this, but because there's so much information, I'm just trying to get it all done. Verse 12 and 13 says, This is why he has done this, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, uh, till we all come to the unity of faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The purpose these gifts are given is for the growth and maturity which edifies the body of Christ. Thank God, and I'm a little prejudiced here, thank God we have such an incredible pastor who teaches us every Sunday, every Thursday. I am so thankful for his diligence, and I recognize that he is gifted. God has blessed him with a hunger and a thirst and a drive to study God's word. And this is, this is a God thing, because we can't do it on our own. This is a God thing. God gifts certain men. God wants us to be involved in a church uh, where you can get fed from gifted men that God has given and that the body grows. It's so important that we be involved in a church, that we come to church. How many times, oh, I'm not going, you know, and I don't need to go back to church. And Maybe they've been hurt or something's gone on, I don't know, and they never step foot in a church again. Shame on them. Shame on them. God says, forsake not the gathering of the saints. We need to come. We need to get fed. Uh, He who seeks to isolate himself brings destruction on himself. It's so important that we come and that we get fed. In verse 14, it says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. This is why we come. This is why we come and we get fed. Let's face it, ladies. There's a lot of false teaching out there. It's everywhere. We need to come. We need to get fed. We need to know what God's word says. Otherwise, we're tossed to and fro. Um, The believer is to be equipped. And by learning from the gifted men, by the Holy Spirit, by the word of God, by being a part of a church, that brings stability. It is the greatest blessing to watch a new believer come in and to watch them grow, and to mature, and to become strong. There's this one person I'm reminded of just maybe eight years ago. I would share with her, and she was able to be manipulated all the time. All the time. I, I, No, no, the word doesn't. I go, this person is using the word deceitfully. No, no, that's not what the word has said. And I saw her sit down and get fed. And that woman is an incredibly Wise woman today. Wise woman. Because she took the time to sit down and to get fed and to grow. And so she's not tossed to and fro anymore. And this is what God wants. He wants us to be stable. He wants us to know what the word of God says. 
This allows the believer to avoid deception. There are those who lie in wait deliberately planning the demise of the believer. And, And don't kid yourself. Satan plans the demise of every one of us in this room. But as you are steadfast in the word of God, as you are steadfast involved in a body, a church, it's, it's much more difficult. I love it because we keep each other accountable. Even in these small groups where you have your discussion group, isn't it the neatest blessing to hear some of the things that God is doing in each other's lives? And you go, hey, that's, that's really, I never looked at it that way. And, and it stimulates growth and, and, and you minister to one another. This is what God wants. He wants the body to be united and to be sharing with one another. Look at verses 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what, by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes uh, growth of the body for the edifying of itself. So what's he saying? The importance of us ministering to one another. We all have something to offer. I don't care how minute you think your gift is. God wants to use you. God wants to bless you. And sometimes it's the simplest thing as a conversation with another sister. And you share something that just opens up her understanding or sets her free about something that Satan has just pounded her year after year about. As we're open to minister to one another, we... This is how we grow, and this is how we mature in the body of Christ. Uh, this is why it's so important to be involved. Um, I don't care if it's newborn believers. They have so much to give to the body of Christ, as well as the mature. You look at the new believers, they're excited, they're growing, and their enthusiasm gets you excited. It gets you excited. So everybody's important. Love is the key. How we demonstrate it, how we how we execute it, how we execute when we're going to share with somebody. Are you going to go and you're going to share and you're going to be demeaning? You're going to be um, condemning? No, we share in love. Colossians three fourteen. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Love is the key, ladies. As we share our faith, as we minister to one another, as we work with one another, it's through his love. The purpose of the church is to guard the unity of the spirit and to cultivate and develop diversity. We are so diverse in this room, so different. You couldn't ask for more different people to be gathered in one room. But by the Holy Spirit, he gives us that unity. Why? Because of the apostles' doctrine, because of the word of God, because of what Jesus has done for every one of us. Now we're going to look at the warnings in verses uh, 17 through 19. Now Paul is going to talk about the old sin nature. Verse 17 says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. In the futility, or that word futility, you could say vanity of their mind. No longer walking We no longer walk in empty pursuits. Uh, We do not walk as the world walks. We live in this world, but we're not of this world. We are the salt. We are the light. We are to be nothing like the world. Nothing. If you can't, if they can't tell you apart from a a non-believer, there's something wrong with our walk. Does that mean that you're supposed to be an oddball or some weirdo? No. 
but you live in such a way that they see your good works. You live in such a way that you manifest Christ in your everyday lifestyle. That's what we're called to. We don't live in the vanity of the things we thought were important prior to coming to Christ. Our priorities were so messed up prior. Look at verses 18 and 19. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. This is a description of you and I prior to coming to the Lord. This is how we lived. It is a dark, grim picture of our world. All of us were held captive at Satan's will. Satan kept us ignorant and blinded and alienated from God. But you know what? God's taken the blinders off of every one of us. We see clearly. We see things as they should. And sometimes I'll be talking to somebody and they'll say, you know, I try and share with them and they don't get it. I says, I know. They don't get it. Because they don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't see like you and I see. We pray that one day they will. I think about my own conversion and how I wept. And I wept and I wept because God had forgiven me for so much. And you know what? I always look back because I never want to take it for granted. I am very grateful for what God has done in my life. 41 years later, I'm very thankful because you know what? I know people that I knew 41 years ago and their life is not very pretty. When he said we grow more and more corrupt, he is not kidding. Look at some of the people that we all used to know prior to being a Christian. God saved us, and we started walking with the Lord. But those people, they kept going back, 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 further and further, deeper and deeper into sin, where we're up here. And we can't even identify. Does that mean we're better than them? Heck no. There go I, except for the grace of God. It is only God's grace that you and I are sitting in this room tonight. God is good. God is good. And therefore, it should make us want to reach out to the lost. It should make us want to be that more of an example. You know, on Friday, I usually do a Bible study with Melissa. And Melissa is the missionary that most of you guys know. And she called me up and said, Trudy, I have to go to emergency because my foot's a mess. And I said, okay. And I'm thinking, okay, she's going to want to cancel. And she goes, do you think that um, you could do the Bible study in the emergency room? I said, well, let's do it. Let's go. And so, I mean, there is all kinds of people going. I mean, it is as diverse as diverse can be. I'm sitting next to Melissa, and I'm listening to this these two ladies. Yeah, and I had a knife this big, and I and she's just talking about this knife and how she was going to stab somebody. Did you hear that, Melissa? By any chance? No. And and then you know, I had this 61 year old gangbanger sit next to me. We have no idea. Melissa was Melissa brought out, which I didn't even think about, how we were called back into the back room, and then we go back into the waiting room. Back, and so each time we were called back, when we came back out, we had to finish the Bible study in a different place. We sat in three or four different sittings, and we and I'm telling you, it was a full-on Bible study. We're just we're sitting there and we're doing a full-on Bible study. I don't know who was listening. We were praying that they would because God is so good. Melissa asked me to mentor her. But really, she mentors me. She humbles me all the time. She goes, you know, you never know. God wants to use us in the emergency room. Yeah, you're right. Let's go. Let's do it. We should have a hunger and thirst to minister to these people. They are dying and going to hell. And their lives are a wreck. Um, 
I think this is why I, I have such a hard time with the emergent church. Because God has called us to holiness. Call, God has called us to be like him. And, and, and I see such compromise. When I think of the emergent church, I always think, why emergent? Why not the compromising church? That'd be a better name for it. You know? If you don't want to be like Christ, don't call yourself a Christian. Look what Paul states in verses 20 and 21. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as truth is in Christ. The Ephesians had been taught for two years through the word by the Holy Spirit. They had experienced firsthand in Christ. The believers uh, enters into a personal relationship. The moment we accept Christ into our heart, we enter into a personal relationship. But as we grow in God's word, that relationship continues to deepen. And this is what the Ephesian church had been doing for two years. Their relationship with Jesus was growing and deepening. And just as our relationship, every one of us in this room, as we continue to grow and to be fed upon God's word, our relationship with him only deepens. Having this relationship results in a whole new position before God. John seventeen seventeen says, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. What does sanctified mean? set apart. You and I are set apart for a purpose. God has called you out of the darkness and into the light, and he wants to use us. He wants us to be set apart. In these next verses, we're going to learn just how important that they be, uh, that they put into practice what they have learned. Uh, Verse 22 and 24 says that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed, meaning to make new in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which which is according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We are to put off that old sin nature, and we are to put on Jesus Christ. That old lifestyle, again, it's gone. Uh, The new man or the new nature is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Righteousness meaning um, right living. Holiness pertaining to God, right thinking. Uh, We have a new nature, which is a result of being born again by the Holy Spirit. We are a new creation. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. The moment we accepted Christ, we are a new creation. New girl. New women. So we put off. And how do we do that? Put on the mind of Christ, Philippians tells us in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. We bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. Uh, We are to present our bodies a living sacrifice in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. All this is in contrast to our old sin nature. Uh, Now let's look at the practical counsel in verses 25 through 32. Because you have put off the old sin nature and have put on the new nature... Paul proceeds to give some very important principles. Verse 25, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. We are members one of another. A lie is a statement that is contrary to fact, spoken with the intent to deceive. Now, I know none of you have ever done this, but just in case there's somebody there, you would think we don't have to elaborate on this, but we do. 
I am amazed how many people I talk to, Christian or non-Christian, that have no problem lying, whether it's a little white lie or a big lie. Um, you get a phone call. I'm not here. I'm not. Tell them I'm not here. That's a lie. You tell somebody you'll, me, uh, you'll help them take care of something with the intention of knowing you never will be able to make it. That is a lie. It's better to be. It's better to tell the truth. You don't want to take a phone call? Tell them I can't receive a phone call right now. She's 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 not available. You're not lying. We need to be truthful. We need to be women who are known for truth. That that's what Jesus, I don't remember Jesus lying. And if we're Christ-like, he didn't lie. So we need to be women of truth. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. Proverbs 12:22. In the family of God, you are to be known for truth. You know, it's, it's, it's difficult because when somebody has a reputation for lying, it's hard to take them serious. We all know people like that. It's hard to take them serious. Verses 26 and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Anger can be manifested in many different forms. When we allow anger to become sin... Or when we allow ourselves to keep any anger for uh, more than a day, it gives the devil an opportunity. The enemy gains control over your attitude, over your actions, our relationships, and we harbor anger. You see how anger just taints everything? And there's that. And then from anger, it, it just continues to well up and get worse. And because of that, you give place to the devil. Be angry and do not sin. Um, he says in verse 28, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give who, uh, Give him who is in need. Uh, Christians are not to steal, whether it be deception or blankly take what does not belong to you. But we're to work. We're to work hard with our hands. And you know there's something about working um, that gives you a sense of self-worth. A desire accomplished is sweet, the proverb says. And when you work hard for something, you appreciate it, don't you? And not only do you appreciate it, but then you're able to give to somebody who is in need, he says. And isn't that what we want? We want to be able to give to others. Verse 29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. The word corrupt means rotten, putrid, or worthless, and the outcome is destruction of others. God says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Ephesians 5 verse 4 says, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. It is not fitting for the believer to have gross things come out of your mouth, foul things to come out of your mouth. And foul doesn't always mean filthy language. It could be gossip. It could be bitterness. It could be that critical spirit about someone. Those are pretty foul, putrid also. Um, as a believer, we're to, be, we're to be building up one another. We're to be encouraging one another. Um, verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. To grieve means to bring pain and make sorrowful. The Holy Spirit is a person, and he can be grieved. How do we grieve him? We grieve the Holy Spirit by lying, by being angry, by giving place to the devil, by stealing, by allowing corrupt words to come out of your mouth. 
It all pains the Holy Spirit, be it through thought, word, or deed. We do not want to grieve the Holy Spirit. In verse 30 it says, Also, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. A seal indicates ownership and possession. Do you know that God has put his seal upon you? She's mine. I bought her with a price. Not with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with his precious blood. What a blessing. I have God's seal upon me. If I have God's seal upon me, how am I behaving? Do I act like someone who has God's seal upon me? Verse 31 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. One commentator stated, This verse warns us against several sins of the attitude and amplifies what Paul wrote about anger. Remember I told you anger takes on different forms. Some of the form is bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. He says, put it away. Get rid of it. It shouldn't be named among you. Um, the chapter closes with the contrast of the last verse and the quality of being Christ-like. Look what he says in verse 32. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Be Meaning become. This marks a radical change that takes place in the believer. Be kind to one another means to show uh, a sweet and generous disposition, a benevolence to one another. Be tender-hearted to one another identifies the moving of the emotions to be moved to help. It is a heartfelt compassion and pity by the love of God. Every one of us should demonstrate this. All of us should have a heartfelt pity towards someone who's going through something difficult. Philippians 4, verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good, re, uh, good report, if there be any virtue, if there be anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Be forgiving to one another. Don't think about all their nasty things. But you think about the good things, whatever's good, whatever's lovely, whatever, um, whatever virtue. Be forgiving to one another. We do not hold grudges against people. We do not hold their sin, um, their account of their sin against them. Forgiving meaning to put it away. We are to forgive rather than magnify someone's faults. This is done through 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4 and 5 bringing every thought captive. When Satan wants to bring up their sin, you bring that thought captive, and you realize, God has forgiven me. I must forgive. Recognize the heart is evil, uh, as Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us. And then the latter part of verse uh, 32 says, just as God has forgiven you. I love what Xavier says. We'll never hurt, or no one will ever hurt you as much as we have hurt God. And God has forgiven me of everything. Who am I to hold a grudge? I cannot hold a grudge. This chapter reveals how through obedience to God's word and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, uh, unity is possible. Apart from these basic principles, we will bite and devour one another. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. That agape love is through Jesus' awesome example, who came down and died for my sins and gave you and me everything. As we looked at the first three chapters, he gave us everything. Every one of these principles Jesus lived out, and we beheld them in color as we looked to his word. 
The next two chapters will reveal even greater clarity as to our responsibility as believers as we seek to be imitators of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for all that you have given to us. And Lord, as you have done so much for us, as you have just blessed us with incredible blessings, Lord, please allow us to bless you in being obedient to those things that you called us to, that we would walk worthy of the calling. Lord, help us to walk that walk to allow your word to manifest your grace in our lives as we deal with the issues that we come in contact with. So, Lord, we just thank you, and we ask, Lord, that we would continue to grow and that we would continue to humble ourselves and that we would be an extension of you, whether it be a hand or a foot. However you choose to use us, we will humbly step out in obedience. And, Lord, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, ladies.